the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Maybe he's just messing with us. Now, Will Thomas was a pretty good swimmer for the University of Pennsylvania. Uh, now he goes by Leah, and he swims for, for the University of Pennsylvania women's team. He's won several meets and set records in the process, and now he's also won a very important award. And now, it's time for The Jerk of the Week, starring John Steigerwald. Uh, yep, we'll call him Leah, but um, a couple of Leah's teammates told Outkick.com uh, yesterday, anonymously of course, uh, that they think it stinks and they're afraid that if they did go public uh, with how stupid they think it is, they might get in trouble if not canceled or kicked off the team or who knows, kicked out of school. But Leah, who used to be Will, doesn't look like a Will woman except for the long hair, but then, you know, Willie Nelson has long hair. Uh, and Leah sure doesn't sound like a woman when uh, defending the stupidity of him competing with and against females. The IOC recently released um, a new set of guidelines for um, inclusion on transgender and intersex athletes. And I think the guidelines they set forward are very good and do a very good job of promoting inclusivity while keeping um, competitional integrity um, going where the IOC guidelines are that anyone, each sport basically has to come up with um, eligibility criteria for what constitutes an unfair advantage in that given sport. Um, and then everybody is able to compete um, in the category they're most comfortable with unless there's a proven unfair advantage that they have. Um, and this does a very good job of including trans women and not invading anybody's privacy or making anyone feel uncomfortable. Um, yeah, and I think they, those guidelines are, are very good. Yeah, they're real good. He sounds like a man from here. He doesn't even try to do the fake... Um Female voice, like Aunt Rachel used to do, remember? Uh, anyway, keep in mind that in at least one of the major events that he won last weekend in Akron, his teammate finished second, which means she was the best woman in the competition and didn't get to win the event. Now, I'm beginning to believe that Will and Leah are messing with everybody, and he's just trying to prove a point. We'll see. If, he not, if he's not, it's only a matter of time before somebody does, and I hope somebody does, by the way. But no matter what happens, you won't be able to take the Windows or Us Jerk of the Week Award away from Leah Thomas. The Jerk of the Week is brought to you by Windows R Us, Pittsburgh's premier exterior replacement company. Expert repair and replacement for windows, roofs, siding, doors, gutters, and downspouts. Why pay double? Visit windowsrspittsburgh.com. And when we come back, Wilford Riley, who wrote a book called Hate Crime Hoax, How the Left is Selling a Fake Race War. He'll be here to talk about Jussie Smollett, speaking of jerks. And at 535, another visit from John Lucas. He's the uh, co-author of Bino Cook's book, Haven't They Suffered Enough? He's got some great stuff. Stick around. It's finally time to replace that old leaky roof, or how about some new siding? You can count on Windows or Us, the area's premier exterior replacement company. This is John Steigerwald. With over 50 years' experience in the home remodeling industry, Windows or Us offers repair and replacement for roofs, siding, gutters and downspouts, windows, entry doors, even decks. 
A leaky roof left unfixed can lead to mold and mildew. Maybe you lost siding during the recent windstorms. Don't put those repairs off. Windows R Us offers 12 months no interest financing and no processing fee through Dollar Bank. Want new factory direct replacement windows for your home or office? Choose from 100% vinyl, commercial aluminum, wood, and composite. And how'd you like to never clean your gutters again? For a limited time, get a free gutter filter with the purchase of complete siding or roof replacement. Offer valid through 123121. All with 12 months, no interest, no processing fee, and backed by the best warranty in the industry. Schedule your free estimate and inspection today at windowsrustpittsburgh.com. That's windowsrustpittsburgh.com. Hey. I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3377 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3377. Enjoy. Do your pets have the same energy they used to? Do they have problems with itching, scratching, a dull coat, or goopy ears? Then your pets need Dinovite. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. For over 20 years, pet owners have trusted Dinovite to supplement their pet's diet. We started Dinovite and in our first box, we noticed a difference. Dinovite is an all-natural daily supplement made from whole foods that helps support your pet's immune system, digestion, skin, and coat. Within three weeks, he's not scratching and itching, and he's an all-around happier dog. Today, these commercial pet foods are processed at high temperatures, which bakes out all the essential goodness. These processed foods can lack the essential vitamins, enzymes, and probiotics that contribute to overall good health. Adding a scoop of Dynavite to your pet's food bowl is the answer. If you love your pets as much as I do, you'll want to do what's best for them to live long, healthy, happy lives. I have two cats and two dogs. All four of them are on the Dynavite. You won't believe how happy your dog will be. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Dr. Gorka here, and I want to talk to you for a minute about the 100% drug-free relief factor. We all deal with aches and pains in our day-to-day lives, and I have had my fair share, including injuries like a detached quad muscle that, I can tell you, fell into the category of really bad pain. But I've been able to manage the pain by taking relief factor. It helps your own body to attack and fight off sources of inflammation, the source of most of our aches and pains, and I've loved it for years now. Almost 70% of the more than half a million people who have tried Relief Factor end up ordering more. That's because it works for them the way it worked for me. Isn't it time for you to get out of pain? Your first step to becoming pain-free should be to order the three-week quick starter pack for the discounted price of only $19.95. Go to relieffactor.com, call 800-4-RELIEF to find out more about this offer. Feel the difference. The John Steigerwall Show, AM 1250, The Answer. Well, Jesse Smollett didn't fool anybody, especially the 12 jurors in his trial. Uh, he was convicted on five counts yesterday. And now the question is, will he serve any jail time? It was one more hate crime hoax that was exposed. And Wilford C. Riley is a political science professor at Kentucky State University, the author of Hate Crime Hoaxes, How the Left is Selling a Fake Race War. And he joins us now. Wilford, thanks for coming on again. I appreciate it. Yes, sure thing. Glad to be back on. So um, you're a teacher uh, and an expert now on hate crime hoaxes. You wrote a book about it. I'd be interested in what kind of a grade you'd give Jussie Smollett for all this stuff. Let's let's start with the story itself that he tried to sell. We can grade from A to F if you'd like. Um, I mean, I'd give Jussie Smollett an F. Uh, I'd give the media something lower than that, a Z or an incomplete for their uh, for their treatment of this crazy story. But yeah, Jussie Smollett, um, his original story was that on the coldest day of the year, when there was what's called a polar vortex in Chicago. He was attacked by two big white guys who were wearing what he called patriotic ski masks and full-on Donald Trump MAGA gear, at least the hats. 
they were carrying a knotted rope noose and a gallon bottle of bleach. And according to his original description, these boys recognized him from Empire, which is a show about gay rappers that's not really that popular with deep rural Trump supporters. Um, I, I called him the N-word, let's say, called him some gay slurs, started a fight with them. He was actually able to fight off both of the guys while getting hit in the face. And he ran inside holding a tuna salad sub in his left hand and with a noose around his neck. And I think that anyone who's familiar with that area of Chicago, um, anyone who knows the demographics for Empire, just anyone who looked at the weather reports for that day would have immediately said, this, this sounds ridiculous, this is almost certainly false. But instead, what you saw was uh, Jesse Smollett being celebrated across you know, mass media for a couple of weeks. So I'd give, I'd give him an F for originality and storytelling, but I mean, there has to be a worse grade than that for the press. Yeah, now, it's interesting. I hadn't thought of this until just now, but these two guys are from Nigeria. I'm not that good on geography and weather. I, I don't think that uh, guys from Nigeria, I, I'm going to guess that they're not big fans of ice-cold weather. Uh, just me, uh, that, they, that, they would, that they would be out roaming around on that night. Well, the whole thing was just incredibly ridiculous. I mean, so Smollett initially did say that, that these guys were white, so that, yeah. that wouldn't have come up with yeah, the, right. the first dishonest round of the story. But at the same time, I mean, you have to ask, if he wanted people, if he wanted his buddies to beat him up on video so that this would look like a hate crime, why wouldn't he get white friends? Right, right. I mean, if Smollett was a popular nightlife guy in Chicago, grab, grab two Irish guys. He hired two Nigerians. These are, you know, six foot two black guys that look like Adam. Right. That <laughs> to jump him as Caucasian. But as soon as the cops zoomed in, obviously, on that uh, that condo building camera footage, I, w- I would suppose that was that was one of the things that clued them off that this is probably a hoax. So the whole thing was just nonsensical. The the real story was the celebration of it throughout the country for several months, mm-hmm. with Jesse Smollett headlining Good Morning America. Yeah, yeah. I want to get to that in a second, but I, I was just going to say. Just based on what I've seen of him and what I know of him, I wouldn't think it would be that hard for him to find somebody who'd like to punch him in the mouth. It just doesn't seem like that would be all that hard for him to come up with somebody uh, to just do it, you know, genuinely. Um, what about uh, the presentation? You mentioned uh, crying on Good Good Morning America. I thought that was a nice touch, and Robin uh, Roberts helped out with that. Yeah, I mean, so, okay, presentation of the Hulk. It took me a, took me a second to understand that. I'd, I'd actually give him a B there. So, I mean, the, the, the story itself, which is that two black, white supremacist, MAGA-supporting Nigerians beat me up on an Eskimo-temperature day in a gay and black neighborhood, or at least 25% of it. I mean, that, that's just nonsense. The actual presentation was pretty good. I mean, he uh, he carried himself very convincingly during the Good Morning America interview, I mean, and it, he, this guy has to be a sociopath or something along those lines. Like, you know, I came into academia from the business world. My priest would tell you I'm not the morally purest person in the world. But, I mean, the, some of the stuff he said, like, I pray to God for all the little children that they catch these people. I don't want to give up all hope. I want to think as good as possible. Uh, it, it's tough to imagine most people, especially most adult men, saying that kind of crap knowing they had set the whole thing up. I mean, he... Uh, he did a good job of doing that. Yeah, and and it and he's an actor, so it it sounded like something that a scriptwriter would have written that was not believable. But he did the best job possible of of presenting it in a way that at least he tried to make it believable. Um, so what about an A for effort? I mean, he's he's still claiming his innocence, so he's not giving up. Well, I've, I've never, as a teacher or a coach, been a big fan of giving A's for effort. I mean, that's still just an F. But, yeah, I mean, he's, you can dress, but you might not play in the game. But, yeah, he is, um, he's still going. I actually, again, I think that the big story about this, like, I've been asked a lot as someone who's a pretty serious social scientist and who wrote a couple of high-profile books on the right, why are you doing this? Why are you saying that these isolated cases, these these BLM riots or these these hate crime fakes are a big deal? The big deal is that there is this entire well-funded colossus in society, the SPLC, NAACP, ADL, CAIR, HRC, so on down the line, government agencies, EEOC, that focuses intently on this narrative of ongoing ethnic conflict that's still happening, and it almost promotes it. So the Jesse Smollett thing, 
He never admitted that he made it up. He still hasn't admitted that he made it up, actually. He's preparing a formal appeal. And I think the reason for that is that, like O.J. Simpson decades ago, he kind of knows his audience. He knows that there's a group of white radical city kids, Antifa types, uh, really, this is a smaller group, but really racialized brothers, African-Americans, a lot of people that are just never going to believe the police over him. And you actually saw Black Lives Matter, like the formal national organization, chartered organization, say that in a statement yesterday. Uh, uh, here's what Dr. Melinda Abdullah, one of the leaders of Black Lives Matter, tweeted after the verdict yesterday. Quote, and I will continue to say it, police lie, hashtag police lie, hashtag cops lie, we love you, Jussie. Aside from being redundant, uh, what do you make of that statement, uh, besides being totally ridiculous? Well, I, I think that we've created a safe space, if you will, but on college campuses, in kind of the NGO, charitable sector, it's not the March of Dimes anymore. You've seen it now in secondary education, quote-unquote CRT. But we've created a safe space where the majority of the people believe crazy nonsense, where people believe that their upper-middle-class black buddies are oppressed in 2021. I mean, that, that is a nonsensical statement. Not that they face some a bit more racism, get a bit of an affirmative action bonus. That's true, but that oppression is still going on, that there are 67 human genders falling down the line. And I think within this world, and I've seen this in academia myself, although at a solid Southern college, it's a little less prevalent, but within this world, it's perfectly normal, it's perfectly conventional to say, Tawana told the truth, you know, or Jussie, Jussie wasn't lying. But the reality is, when, when experts tell you this stuff, like quote-unquote experts, but, uh, you know, I hit up an NGO, I know police lie, we have no proof that, that Jussie did fake this. The reality is that many of these things are very provably false. Like the Olsen Dario brothers are on video buying the exact gear they used in the hoax attack. They have a check for $3,500 signed by Jussie Smollett for this. So there's no doubt Jesse Smollett did this. He just knows his audience. He's not giving up. Yeah, what's the effect of, uh, of a, a group like Black Lives Matter, which has been warmly accepted by the left and especially the left media um, and, and promoted and, um, and, and not only just tolerated but celebrated – What's the effect of somebody who's supposed to be a leader of that organization saying something that stupid that she still loves just Jussie Smollett and the cops are lying? Well, hopefully this will remind a lot of people what BLM is. Black Lives Matter, and I don't mean this in the sense of the slogan. I'm sure I have a basketball t-shirt that says Black Lives Matter, for that matter, all lives matter. But the organization itself, Black Lives Matter Global Foundation, is an extremely radical group. I mean, this is a group that has denounced the nuclear family on its website. That wasn't taken down until this year. They've taken positions in support of Palestine against Israel, the ongoing Middle Eastern wars. So I, I think this is just another example of these campus-type radicals that the media tries to present as very normal. They just want a few police reforms. Actually illustrating, despite their allies' best efforts, that they're crazy. I mean, there were multiple formal statements from Black Lives Matter saying things like, we will never believe the police over a caring, committed, involved black man like Jesse Smollett. And that, that brings up the question, would you ever believe the police over any criminal? I mean, that, that's the subtle, that's the undersurface implication there. So, yeah, that, that doesn't particularly surprise me, but hopefully it'll, it will prompt some reevaluation. Yeah, last sentence, but there, there's, been a fun, there's been a fondness on kind of the mainstream left for crazy radicals since radical chic. I mean, you're talking Norman Mailer, you're talking about 1960s, the Panthers and the Leathermen. Yeah, I, I haven't seen it. It's only been a day or so. Um... And when this statement came out, but I haven't seen anybody pushing back on that stupid statement. If, if the media were doing their job, wouldn't they be jumping all over that, that, that statement to say that despite mountains of evidence that this guy was lying and it was a hoax, that they're still calling the cops liars, that you, there would be somebody who would try to get one of them on television and and grill them about it. I, I just think they accept everything that they say, and and uh, they let it go. Well, this is what you're saying, actually, there is a very important point. 
it, it's hard to overemphasize this. The presentation of reality by the mainstream American media. Now, Fox and OA Insight, right, sure. But when you look at CNN, MSNBC, The Post, these entities that are supposed to be neutral, except for maybe MS, you're getting an astonishingly biased take on virtually everything. So th- this isn't new. The entire presentation of Black Lives Matter as sort of a healthy mainstream organization is something that's been sustained on life support for the past couple of years. I mean, there were giant riots that swept the country last summer. About 50 people died. And the presentation of this was that these were peaceful protests. The police were the ones kind of taking things up a notch. There was that incredible CNN headline, fiery but mostly peaceful, where the guy was standing in front of a burning building and the roof collapses as he's talking. So this is just a continuation of this. Like, yeah, of course, if a neutral media focused on the things that Black Lives Matter actually says, you'd have uh, an uncle of mine calls this Altamont syndrome. Most people are intolerant of the prejudice, the problems within society, racial conflict or something like that. But when you actually look at the radical alternatives, honestly, Altamont was a rock festival that ended up in a bloody clash between uh, black fighters and Hell's Angels. A couple of people died. When you actually look at the alternative to the policing, which is often the Hell's Angels, you realize that's a lot worse. And I think many people know that subconsciously about BLM, Antifa, Occupy, Black Bloc, all that. But the media certainly does their best to present these as sort of normal organizations. That's why the, the classic description of Antifa, Black Bloc, or fighters is anti-fascist protesters. I mean, everyone who grew up in a city in one of the scenes knows what those dudes are and why they're wearing all black. Yeah, we're talking to Wilfred C. Riley. He's a political science professor at Kentucky State University. He's also the author of Hate Crime Hoaxes, How the Left is Selling a Fake Race War. Um, Speaking of the media, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but uh, MSNBC last night, which was all over this when Smollett first came out with this ridiculous story, they loved it. from what I understand, from 7 until midnight last night on all their primetime shows, no mention of the verdict. Nothing. Jussie Smollett no longer exists, I guess. Yeah, and that's, that's what media bias means to a very large extent. I mean, it's not that... I don't, I don't actually think much of, say, Maddow as a host, but it's not that... Jake Tapper or Sean Hannity to pick two guys that are pretty solid newsmen. It's not that they just get on the air and say a bunch of things that are ridiculously untrue. It's that each one would pick from that full milieu of stories that Reuters or APY, whatever it is that you folks in media use, but they would pick the ones that reflect kind of their bias, their personal opinion. And MSNBC is one of the networks that's the worst with this. So yeah, I mean, you gave, I think that's the correct time frame, five and a half hours. I didn't mention this one. And if you asked someone from the network about this, what they would say is probably they wouldn't acknowledge that they have a biased left-wing perspective. They would say, well, we're being kind to a mentally ill person, maybe. Or, well, that doesn't matter anymore. The case is over, right? He's been sentenced. But these same arguments would never, ever be made in the context of, you know, the Kyle Rittenhouse case or the Ahmed Arbery case or the Ghislaine Maxwell case or anything that was a bit further outside their narrative. So, I mean, it, it kind of, we all know what this is. It's kind of how that, how that sounds in my mind. Yeah, I only have about a minute left, uh, Wilford. Does the judge in this case need to send a message when it comes time to sentence uh, Smollett? What, what happens if he gets off with probation? Um, I, I think that would be a very bad sign. And Jesse Smollett has cost the city of Chicago probably a half million dollars. The initial investigation was $130,000. This guy's been inside at least briefly. You know, he still owes a $10,000 fine, forfeiture of previous bond. They had to try him. He lied the entire trial. He made them impanel a jury. Um, I wouldn't give him 15 years. The max is three years on each count. But I'd, I'd send him inside Cook County Jail, which is in a nice facility, for probably about six months. Yeah, I, I think there has to be a message sent where this guy, you know, I'm sure the guards will protect him in there and so on, but he has to go to jail. He has to eat, you know, bread sandwiches for a while. You, you can't do one of these and just get away with it. I agree with you, and I, I appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, and again, the book is uh, Hate Crime Hoaxes, How the Left is Selling a Fake Race War. Wilford C. Riley, thanks for coming on. Sure thing. Bye. Okay, we'll be back.
With SRN News, I'm John Scott. The Supreme Court has issued a ruling on a Texas abortion law that is sure to continue the legal battle. A near ban on abortions in Texas will remain in effect after the Supreme Court ruled Friday that abortion providers will be allowed to sue the state over a law that makes abortion illegal after cardiac activity is detected. That's around six weeks before many women know they're pregnant. The Texas law was designed to put obstacles in the way of legal challenges, and so far that strategy has worked. The case is almost certain to return to the Supreme Court with its conservative majority after a review by the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, which has twice voted to allow enforcement. Jennifer King, Washington. Denver finally seeing its first snowfall of the season, shattering an 87-year-old record for the latest first snow. It wasn't much, three-tenths of an inch at Denver International. The Dow is ahead 115 points. The Nasdaq up 39. This is SRN News. Hey, I'm Andy. If you don't know me, it's probably because I'm not famous. But I did start a men's grooming company called Harry's. The idea for Harry's came out of a frustrating experience I had buying razor blades. Most brands were overpriced, overdesigned, and out of touch. At Harry's, our approach is simple. Here's our secret. We make sharp, durable blades and sell them at honest prices for as low as $2 each. We care about quality so much that we do some crazy things, like buy a world-class German blade factory. Obsessing over every detail means we're confident in offering a 100% quality guarantee. Millions of guys have already made the switch to Harry's, so thank you if you're one of them. And if you're not, we hope you give us a try with this special offer. Get a Harry starter set with a five-blade razor, weighted handle, shave gel, and a travel cover. All for just three bucks, plus free shipping. Just go to harrys.com and enter 3388 at checkout. That's harrys.com, code 3388. Enjoy. Charlie Kirk sees a modern-day Pearl Harbor. We had our own form of Pearl Harbor. An epidemiological Pearl Harbor that was launched by the Chinese Communist Party that we might have funded through gain-of-function research. An entire way of life completely and totally being remade by an invisible epidemiological Pearl Harbor by the Chinese Communist Party. The Charlie Kirk Show, weeknights at 9 on AM 1250. The answer. Qualifying for Medicaid is complicated, and the timing of your application is critical. This is Jay Hagerman of Abernathy and Hagerman. The biggest mistake? Not consulting with a qualified legal professional before you apply. There's a lot at stake, especially for those with a spouse staying at home. At Abernathy and Hagerman, we can help you navigate the Medicaid rules so you can properly protect some or all of your life savings from a long-term care crisis. Before you apply, contact Abernathy and Hagerman at a-h.law. This is Sebastian Gorka, and I want to invite you to join me for a powerful travel opportunity that will likely become the highlight of your year. I'm headed to Israel in November 2022 for a 10-day Stand with Israel tour of the key sites and best places meant to give you an unprecedented view of a world you've likely only read or heard about. Together, we'll uncover key geopolitical insights as we unpack Israel's significance on the world stage. You'll return home empowered by the experience. If you ever dreamt of visiting Israel, this is your opportunity. Come with me in 2022. For more information, call 855-565-5519 or book online at Stand with israeltour.com 855-565-5519 or stand with israeltour.com am 1250 and fm 92.5 the answer wpgp pittsburgh a division of salem media group listen on the answer mobile app smart speakers tune in iheart or odyssey stuck in traffic we've got the answer Still really hectic out there. Outbound Parkway East, a tie-up from Boulevard of the Allies up to Edgewood, Swissvale. Crash cleared from earlier, but still about a 20-minute delay. Inbound side, not doing too badly, though. Let's check out the Parkway West. Looks like at least a 15 or more minute delay inbound between Carnegie to the Fort Pitt Tunnel. Heavy inbound 28, Fox Chapel Road to the Highland Park Bridge. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, The Answer. Weather. 
It'll be mild tonight with a shower this evening, then becoming breezy late with periods of rain. Expect a low of 50, but temperatures will rise to the upper 50s. For tomorrow, windy and warm. Temperatures approaching near record highs with periods of rain and a thunderstorm into the early afternoon. We'll reach a high tomorrow of 64. Sunday, mostly sunny skies with a high of 42. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm forecaster Drew Shannon. This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Hey, how's this for a Christmas present? No mortgage or rent payments for an entire year. You can enter the Christmas Mortgage Miracle Sweepstakes sponsored by Trinity Jewelers. One grand prize winner is going to have their mortgage or rent covered up to $15,000 for the coming year. It's another perk for being a member of the Answer Fan Club. Register to win or join the fan club. Just go to our website, theanswerpgh.com, and get $15,000 worth of mortgage or rent payments over the next year. Well, Beano Cook uh, was one of those guys who you wished everybody could meet, and he's one of the most interesting and entertaining people I've met in over 40 years of working in the media. John, John Lucas sat with Beano for a long time and recorded his thoughts and turned it into a book. And take it from somebody who knew Bino well. It's like sitting down and talking to him. The book is "Haven't They Suffered Enough?" Um, uh, John, thanks for coming on again. Hey, John, thanks for having me. It's 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 a big honor. I mean, I feel like Robert Culp, who you know, who was the only multiple or repeat guest star on Columbo, Bino's <laughs> favorite show. So this is a big deal. Bino would know that. So uh, yep. we, we had you on a few weeks ago, and I told you I wanted to have you on before Christmas because I. I thought this book would make a, a a great Christmas present, and I know that when you sell books, you sell most of them right now, Christmas time. So, so what's been the response? You've had it out there for a month or so now. This response, things, but things have been going well. I think people were uh, they were excited about it. It's you know when you hear that, that Bino wrote a book and or else was working on it, it's kind of like getting a message from you know from a lawyer saying you have an inheritance from a crazy uncle you never met. You know, and right it's, and. Bino is that crazy uncle to a lot of us. Well, a lot of Pittsburgh sports fans, college football sports fans. So it's, you know, he left something behind for all of us. I think it's it's pretty neat, and people are happy about it. Yeah, and as, as I've said before, it's like it's like sitting down and, and talking to Bino, especially for me because I knew him. I can hear his voice, and I can see him saying it. It's and uh, for everybody, everybody to understand that the book is written in Bino's voice. It's all Bino talking, and it's, it's your recording of Bino. You were in the book in the introduction. You were writing, but it's you writing what Bino said, right? That's 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 what it is, John. Uh, you know, I also liken it to kind of, you know, when we started working on the project, he had a a very solid idea in terms of how he wanted the chapters to end and what they would be about. You know, each one was kind of lined up, but from the opening sentence to that closing line was all kind of up in the air. It's like, you know, you get a jigsaw piece puzzle and it was 10,000 pieces. And he did the corners for me and said, okay, you're going to figure out the rest of it. So, so I was in charge of, you know, giving it the shape and, you know, putting, tying everything together, all of his stories, everything over the course of his, you know, 60 year career. And you did a great job. There are lots and lots of um, typical Bino observations and comments in the book that everybody will like uh, some that they may have heard before, and you give the history of where those comments came from, stuff like that. But uh, I also found some really amazing stories, uh, historical notes. Uh, let's start with Era Parsigian, the great Notre Dame coach, wanting to coach at Pitt. It's, it's one of those true but unbelievable stories. Uh, whenever, whenever Pitt hired him, John Michael Oson in uh, 1955, 54-55, Barsegian was just getting started in coaching and he applied for the pit job. And, you know, Bino had heard that for many years. It wasn't until he actually went to work for Pitt as the SID. And uh, he asked to go see where the file cabinet was. And Frank Carver, uh, who was later became the athletic director after Captain Tom Hamilton left, pulled the, the carbon, you know, of the, the telegram that they sent back to Eric Barsegian saying, you know, thank you for your interest in the University of Pittsburgh. Uh, but we're, you know, our position is no longer open. It's been filled. That's amazing. One of those, you know, it's it's amazing that, and you know, there's another another famous name too that that Pitt sort of struck out on. You know, it's one of those who who could have who could have uh, thought it, or who imagine what could have happened had they made those correct tires. Bobby Knight, right? Yeah. What what happened there? It's sort of the same thing. Uh, when Knight was uh, at West Point. 
he applied for the pit job and the Penn State basketball job. And I think all the Indiana fans are pretty happy that he never <laughs> he never got the time of day from either school. Yeah. So and, I mean, it's it's amazing. You think you know these are only the kind of things that Bino would have known or uh-huh. would have you know had the foresight to make a note to share with that because I'd never. I'd never heard it anywhere else. I know, and that was the first I heard of it when I saw it in your book uh, on both of these guys. Uh, two pretty big names, Knight even more so than Parsegian. Parsegian, I forget how to pronounce it. I've heard it both ways. But, um, yeah, he's, he would have just – just imagine what would have happened if Bobby Knight had become the coach at Pitt and if he had the same success at Pitt that he had at Indiana. This would be a basketball town, big time. Definitely, and it could go both ways. Imagine having you know that powerhouse coaches and the two major college sports, you know, at one school at the same time because they both would have, you know, Knight was a little bit younger, obviously, but they would have overlapped. That would have been an incredible time to be a to be a Pitt athletics fan in Oakland. Now, what about the story surrounding the 1963 Pitt team that uh, didn't go to a bowl game because of the Kennedy assassination? There's some very interesting stuff there. That if you're old enough like I am to uh, remember it? Do you remember that you know that the games were canceled and Pitt kind of got uh, they got screwed out of a of a bowl game and they were nine and one and they might have been the best team in the country. Yeah, they were. Uh, they finished number four in the country. I think number three in one poll, four in the other, nine and one. Didn't go to a major bowl game, and it's one of, you know it's one of those crazy college football lore stories. And we devoted quite a bit of material and space, uh, you know, in the book about that story because Bino wanted to clarify a couple of things because he was there when it happened. And he also wanted to sort of uh, clear the air because a lot of people have blamed him over the years thinking that the pits that they called it the no bowl team was somehow his fault. They thought maybe he was the athletic director. Or he had some type of, you know, say so in the decision-making process, but that wasn't the case. But yeah, he wanted to go and, uh, and sort of clear that up. And it's, it's strange. It was just a matter of timing. It was supposed to play Penn state uh, you know, the Saturday after Kennedy was shot, it was Friday, November 22nd. They were supposed to play November 23rd. And the ADs and everybody got together and they decided to cancel the game. And the thing was, you know, most most people think, okay, Pitt-Penn State would be the end of the season game. Back then it wasn't the case. Pitt actually had another game after that scheduled at the University of Miami. And so they had to figure out a way to, to, to sort of play around with the schedule to fit both of those games in. So Pitt had to play Miami the following week once the games resumed, and they had to reschedule the Pitt-Penn State game for early December. And by that point, the major bowls, they had their, you know, they had their uh, decision-making processes already. You know, things were in flux, and, and they couldn't wait to see if, uh, you know, if Pitt, there was a chance they could lose those two games. And obviously a team with three losses wouldn't be as attractive as some of the other uh, alternatives. And they had to make their decision. It was, you know, it was based on money. And uh, so Pitt got shut out. It's a, you know one of the great tragedies is a team that that great you know didn't get to go to a bowl. And Bino obviously wanted to go to a bowl game too. Wanted to spend New Year's in Florida. It just you know didn't happen. And it went that Pitt went about ten years after that without even sniffing a bowl. I don't think they were terrible until uh, Johnny Majors came along ten years later. Yeah, that was that was about it. And I think in Bino's uh, whole tenure, they went to one one bowl game. It was a Gator Bowl. They played Georgia Tech. And, you know, that was it. And he said he had no idea when he took that job that they would go, you know, 20 years between bowls. But, yeah, it wasn't until majors came and kind of righted the ship, I think, 73 and 74. And, you know, that obviously everybody knows the, the end of the story after that. And 76 was, uh, yeah. you know, the number one year. Now, um, Mike Ditka became a gigantic personality uh, because of his success with the Bears. And then he became a, a gigantic media personality. Um, why was Mike Ditka, be, of all the people uh, Bino came across, why was Mike Ditka his all-time favorite? That's yeah, it's a good question, John. You know, when I when I asked him about that, it was it was a combination of Ditka's playing style. You know, Bino said that he he didn't just have a fire; he had a blast furnace inside of him. And you know, it was a combination of that. And you know, you knew Bino really well, and you knew that he hated phony people. Oh yeah, that was one of his, you know, one of his big things. Whether it was just a, you know, people in the media, people in sports, even just a regular guy on the street. If you were full of yourself in any way, he wanted nothing to do with you. And Ditka was just the exact opposite of that. Ditka never forgot where he came from, never forgot who he was, never forgot Pitt. And you know, as we mentioned in the book, that you know, the same guy that played at Pitt was the same guy that played pro football. 
and the same guy that coached and is, and is the same guy on television you see today. And I think that that really counted a lot. You know, there was in Bino's world, you know, there was a there was a lot of credit uh, given to to people who were very honest and they weren't, uh, you know, no big egos. He couldn't put up with any of that. And he said Ditka was just he was just a pick guy. That's the way he was. And you know, Bino really really appreciated that. They got to be pretty close during you know Bino's time there as SID. Uh, about uh, what well, would have been like 1977, I was working at KQV Radio, which no longer exists, and I did a series on um, that I called "Where Are They Now" or something like that. Whatever became of mm-hmm. you know one of those deals, and I I uh, it was just a, an excuse for me. I was only 30 years old at the time. I I wanted to get a chance to talk to the people I grew up watching, so. Mike Ditka was on that list, and I remembered Mike Ditka at Pitt as a tremendous defensive end. I was only a little kid mm-hmm. going to see him, but he played both ways, and he was a defensive end. And I asked him about that, and he said, I always believed I was a better defensive player than I was an offensive player. He's in the Hall of Fame as a tight end. So for him to right. say that, I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, I think that's the most, you know, people, you know, especially growing up watching you know, Pitt and watching him play in the pros, everyone, you know, knew him as this big, you know, lumbering, you know, he was kind of like a Gronkowski before that, yeah. you know, mold was even set and, uh, you know, great receiver. But, you know, Bino mentions in the book, you know, he really pointed out the 1958 Army game, Pitt tied Army. It was Army's last time at number one, 14-14 tie, Pitt Stadium. It was one of Bino's most memorable games, you know, in his, in his tenure and probably his life as a Pitt fan. And he said, you know, there was one series where, they were buried deep in their own territory, and Dick had caught a 40-yard pass. And then the very next series, he broke the nose of Army's halfback. And he <laughs> said, I've never seen anything in college or pro football, you know, somebody that dominant on both sides of the ball who could just, you know, effortlessly play like he was an all-pro, you know, defensive end one time and an all-pro tight end, you know, two minutes later. He said, I've never seen anything like it. I probably never will again. For some reason, it may have only happened once, but I was a little kid, and it, you know, impressed me a lot. I get I I have this picture of him blocking punts. I, I I don't know if anybody could look it up to see how many punts he blocked, but that's what I, I when I was only ten years old. But I can uh, I have this memory of Mike Ditka being a guy who blocked punts. I probably was at one game and he did it, and I thought he did that every week. Uh, right. But, um, but uh, so but, so and we're talking uh, to John Lucas. He's the author of Haven't They Suffered Enough uh, with Bino Cook. Uh, and um, he, Bino had some unique, quirky pronunciations. Uh, I, I like this part in the book. Uh, he always said Notre Dame, and I just thought that was you know just Bino. He had a he used to say five. I don't know if you've ever noticed that about him. He he said he pronounced the number five F I T H E, and that was very strange. But I, I always thought that was funny. But anyway. He said Notre Dame all the time, and I just figured that was one of his quirky little mispronunciations, but there's a story behind that, isn't there? Yeah, there is. It's a, it's a good one. And to, to go back, actually, a step, John, there's, there's a bunch of those, you know, and I didn't have enough room, and, you know, it, it just didn't, it kind of interrupted the flow. He did mention this. I guess he didn't have a speech impediment or anything like that, but he did have this strange habit when he was a little kid of, you know, mispronouncing words, or he came up with his own, you know, his own pronunciations. And uh, one of them, I think, was, you know, the town of San Jose. He called San Jose, and it was things like that, you know, and he told me about all this stuff, and it drove his mother crazy. Yeah. And I think after a while, I think he did it just to get a, you know, a rise out of her, but that's that's just the way he was, you know, a peculiar individual with peculiar uh, little quirks. Where did the Notre Dame... Uh, Notre. He insisted on saying Notre. Everybody else says Noter. Well, that was that that wasn't uh, his his doing. It was uh, Frank Leahy, the famous football coach in Notre Dame in the 1940s and 50s, uh, who Bino considers the greatest college football coach of all time. Uh, he came to scout Pitt one week uh, when Bino was a student at Pitt, and uh, because uh, Pitt played Oklahoma uh, in a close game the week before, and Notre Dame had an off week, so. This is back in the era, you know, they didn't have assistants going all over the place. The head coach would actually come scout future opponents. And so Bino saw this opportunity. He was working in the press box at Pitt Stadium. He said, oh, my goodness, there's Frank Leahy. He's, you know, in the flesh. You know, it's like meeting Newt Rockney almost. So Bino went over, typical, you know, no fear whatsoever. 
pulled up a chair and just sat down and started talking to Frank Leahy and chewed his ear the entire game. And part of it was Bino had this plan that he figured if Leahy couldn't get an accurate scouting report on Pitt, maybe Pitt would have a chance to, you know, to upset Notre Dame. So when he, he uh, actually thought he was week. helping the team by by right. keep distracting Leahy. But go ahead, so finish the story. Right. So he sat there the whole game, and to his great surprise, you know, most can you imagine doing this today. A Nick Saban wouldn't go scout no, right. an opponent. You know, right. he would send a graduate assistant or somebody else. Yep. And, you know, they watch the film. But, you know, there's no way anybody coach today would put up with this kid, you know, 19, 20-year-old kid sitting there and just chewing his ear the whole game. So Bino's going back and forth. He was asking him questions about coaching at Fordham in the 30s and, what you know, Lombardi and all this other stuff and, you know, all these great rivalries, what it was like to play for Rockney. And the only time way he actually got a little uh, upset with Bino was because the way he was pronouncing Notre Dame. He said, Our Lady School is pronounced Notre Dame, lad. And Bino said from that point forward, after Leahy corrected him, he started calling it Notre Dame. Now, what year would that have been? <laughs> that was 1953. 1953? Correct. Well, I didn't meet Bino until 19, maybe 80, something like that. He was calling it Notre Dame and did to the day he died, right? That he, was it. Yeah, he picked it up from that from that point forward, and uh, he credits Leahy. Leahy sort of told him, yeah, that's... That's the way it's. That's the way it's said, or that's the way I said it. And you know, one of those things. Just one thing leads to another. And yeah, fifty <laughs> years later, that's the way he was still using that pronunciation. So you went to Notre Dame. Is that how you pronounce it? No, I, I call it the more you know yeah. the, the regular uh, yeah. Notre Dame. But uh, yeah, Bino. He, Bino never. Uh, he, he never tried to correct me. He said, you know, to each his own. I've decided that from from reading the book that from now on I'm calling it Notre Dame, just in honor of Bino. I don't know how many times it'll you know, come up for me, but I'm going to try to do Notre Dame from now on. Uh, now, you guys had a, a, a three-day cooling-off period, you write, uh, after the Pitt-Notre Dame games when you were doing this book. Right, yeah, he would, uh, you know, it was. it's always been a big rivalry, you know, cause a lot of people around here, you know, are big Notre Dame fans, has been for, you know, forever, and, you know, once he knew that I was a Notre Dame fan, ended up going to school there. He wrote me a letter of recommendation to get into the school, which I have a feeling was, that might have factored into my acceptance, but we, uh, yeah, we used to go back and forth and we were able to talk all week and then doesn't matter who, what the result of the game. It could have been a blowout, a one point victory, either side, you know, there was like a 72 hour, uh, cooling off period. <laughs> didn't bother each other. He took, there, there was, there was one, there was one exception to that though. I'll tell you about it if you want to hear it. Uh, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, 2004, uh, would pit pit upset Notre Dame. That was the famous Tyler Palco game. Yeah, yeah. Where he, uh, yeah, yeah, he, you know, he said some foul words over national TV. television. Yeah. Right. And, uh, well, Bino knew that I was very upset with Notre Dame's athletic department, the coaching staff, and I wanted the coach fired in the worst way. And he called me right after the game was over, after Palco's heroics, and I didn't answer the phone. So I'm thinking I thought he was calling the gloat or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And he left me a voicemail, and all it was was two words, you're welcome. <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because Pitt that was that ultimately helped uh, get rid helped of the coach and Willingham out of there, and he knew he knew that that game would be the catalyst to uh, you know getting a new coach. That's so, so it's amazing that, that's the way he thought. That's so perfect of Bino. He would know that you knew exactly what that meant. Just two words, right. and then he hung up. That's tremendous. Um, so uh, the title of the book comes from his quote after uh, Bowie Kuhn, the baseball commissioner, announced that all the Iranian hostages would get lifetime passes. Uh, he said, he, he, he said, well, haven't they suffered enough? What was his problem with baseball? You know, we, we get into this pretty, pretty deep in the book. And I think people that, you know, most people knew that he obviously wasn't a fan of Major League Baseball. But not a lot of people understand that that was his first love even before college football. And I think that, you know, he basically grew up at Forbes Field. I mean, mm-hmm. from the time he was about seven years old and, you know, until right up until the 1960 World Series, he said that was the end of his childhood. And I think he was, he felt like the sport kind of, I don't want to say cheated on him, but, you know, with all the things that happened with the free agent contracts and, you know, the cookie cutter stadiums and how baseball got away from tradition and things like that, he really, yeah. he felt jilted. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that there was, there was sort of that, that feeling that you know that carried over, and I think he never he never got over that that particular relationship with that sport. 
Well, here's a quote from Bino. Quote, the more I think about it, America's long-term relationship with college football is built to last because it's not based on sex. Uh, by keeping it clean, uh, because we have a radio, uh, a family radio show, what, what did that mean? You know, that was one of his things where, you know, he was, in addition to being this great college football guru and a friend, I mean, he was, he, you know, he dispensed advice a lot. He tried to set me up on dates and all kinds of other things. You know, he was, you know, out of this world in terms of always trying to, you know, help you out with certain things. And that was one of his things, you know, with advice. You know, he said, if you're going to settle down, make sure it's it's based on something that's beyond, you know, physical attraction. And I think that uh, that was, you know, the way he gave advice, it, it, it rolled over into a lot of different areas. So if you think about sports and relationships and things like that, he was always, always ahead of his time. And uh, his first uh, comment to you when you first uh, contacted him about getting a job in the media, what did he tell you? Uh, he asked me, he said, you know, you want to be successful? You want to, you know, be a sports writer or be on TV? And I said, oh, yeah, I'm ready to go, ready to give me advice. And he said, don't get married. <laughs> so uh, uh, I got a minute and a half left. I got to ask you this. Two things. You got to get it to it quickly. How about his, okay. th his thoughts on sex, what he said about sex? Uh, it's, it's a famous line. I, I think you're referring to the line where uh, the guy who ran the CFA for a while, you know, Bino had a reputation as being a, you know, uh, an always, you know, a free independent minded yeah, bachelor yeah. that he was never going to settle yeah, down. And, yeah, yeah. and it finally got to a point. Somebody asked him, have you actually ever told a woman you loved her? Yeah. And he says, of course, just never standing up. <laughs> <laughs> he also said in the book, uh, that sex is overrated. It's uh, eighty percent anticipation, twenty percent gratification. That's the kind of stuff that you. That's why you liked hanging around with Bino. He'd come out with stuff like this. Um, yeah, he, I mean, you never knew what he would blurt out, and it, but it always made sense. And it was always, you know, there was no rehearsal to it. He, yeah. he never stood in front of a mirror, you know, and came up with these lines, and you know, or he would try things out. Yeah, he would bounce things off of you, but everything most of the time it was all. Right off the top of his head, whatever just blurted out, blurted out, and that was, and it was usually right on the money. I'm out of time, and, and here's what the uh, Hilda Levine said uh, to uh, Bino's the last line of the book: "Your life has been one long coffee break." She was from the Bigelow Hotel. Hey, you caught, you captured it, John. Thanks for coming on. I got a hard break. I got 15 seconds. Merry Christmas. I hope lots of people buy this book for Christmas gifts. I'll talk to you again. John, Merry Christmas to you too, and thank you very much again. Take care. Okay, and I'll talk to you on Monday. John Steigerwald Show is a production of the Answer Pittsburgh and Salem Media Group. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.